Hello everyone to the Microservices for Everyone Season 2 Part 1 podcast, where we help you re-energize your business strategies. I will be your guest host today, and this is Part 1 of a multi-part series on all things related to microservices. My guest today is Ganesh Dada, CTO of Cortex, a powerful way of maintaining and growing a microservices platform. He's here to share with us why standards and governance of microservices matter to your technology development systems. Let's again welcome our guest of this podcast, Ganesh Dada. Ganesh, how are you today? Hey, Tom, doing great. Really excited to be on the show. Yes, it's great having you. We are very excited about this show. A lot of our listeners are curious about after you start a microservices platform, how do you keep it microservices? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people who are uh, you know dealing with microservices have that challenge, and you know, we run into that, have personal experiences with that. So yeah, very excited to, to share more with your listeners. Ganesh, can you give us a brief description of Cortex and its goals and what problems it solves? Yeah, absolutely. So like you mentioned, you know, one of the big problems with microservices is as the number of microservices increases in an organization, it the sprawl just becomes almost unmanageable. It becomes hard to understand, you know, what services are you building? What do those services actually do? You know, which teams own those services? Who is accountable for those services? And then just trying to starting to understand things like service quality, service reliability, maturity. You know, I think a lot of organizations have faced the pain of, you know, running a migration where they're trying to get everyone to bump up their log for J versions, as we as we found recently in the vulnerability that happened, um, and having no way to track that outside of spreadsheets. So I think what Cortex really focuses on is enabling you know high quality microservices environment by letting you track your microservices, you know, who owns them, information about them, but then letting you define standards and then tracking those standards and driving adoption of best practices across the organization. Very nice. Ganesh, this question has more to do with management and not software tools per se, but I think it's important in today's software world. Why is an egoless work environment important at Cortex? And why is that important to building microservices platforms, as you mentioned uh, in your website? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, for for Cortex in particular, I think it's it's, it's important because, you know, we, it's the right thing to do. You know, we don't, nobody ever wants to work with people who have a, a really big ego, but more practically speaking, you know, we are creating a new category. Like the, the product that we're building isn't something that exists today. Like it is a brand new product, a brand new category. You know, most organizations have never heard of, you know, a microservice catalog with scorecards and all these things that we're adding. And so that means we're kind of working towards this, this broad vision and we need everybody to be on the same page and working together really well because, you know, we're coming up with new ideas on the daily and we're trying to move the organization in that direction and, you know, the better we work together, the better we trust each other, you know, the more ideas that we can share openly and without fear of, you know, being judged or, you know, having to fight around, like, you know, who's correct, who's wrong, you know, whose ideas are better. That's that's better for the, the company, it's better for the product, and it's just better for the microservice community. And I think that's why you know, having an egoless environment is so important. Uh, but, you know, particularly when it comes to microservices, I think, you know, microservices in some way reflect the shape of your organization. You know, as as the, the organization gets larger and larger, you end up breaking down that the organization into smaller teams. Those teams own their own individual microservices. And now you have teams that are kind of drawing lines 
in domain boundaries, you know, which is natural in, in a in an engineering project in that sense. But you don't want to come to a situation where you know different teams are kind of fighting with each other around, you know, hey, my my service is doing really well, your service is not doing well. Why is your uptime suck? You know, like this is the right way of building a microservice. This is not, you know, if a microservice strategy is going to succeed in an organization, everyone needs to be on the same page and the entire organization needs to be working together in that direction. And so I think especially when it comes to working with the complex microservices environment, you can't have egos in the room. Like it has to be an ego-less work environment. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yes, I'm a firm believer in this form of interaction. We will cover this in more detail in episode three, I'll invite you back and a few other colleagues that are firm believers in this form of management. Ganesh, can you describe in more detail the problems associated with maintaining microservices, especially preventing what you refer to on your website as tribal knowledge? It seems often that the loudest person at a meeting gets to decide the technology decisions and the quiet ones are left behind. Yeah, I think the tribal knowledge is, is, is a bit, I would say that's a reflection of tribal knowledge in some sense. So when I, when I think about tribal knowledge, I traditionally think like your your team you know, or, or individuals have specific knowledge about the microservices that lead to kind of like a bus factor where, you know, if that person disappears, you know, in the, in the more dark description of the bus factor, they get hit by a bus, like what happens to that team? Like, do you lose that knowledge forever? And I think there, there are different ways that tribal knowledge kind of comes into play. You know, if you have a, a, like a very high ego work environment, you might have people that are making technical decisions based on what they what they want to see or what technologies they want to work on. And if nobody else in the organization has used those technologies, you know, that's that's a, a, a really big source of tribal knowledge where nobody knows how to operate those systems or develop them or maintain them. You know, but in your more, more traditional sense, even, you know, just having lots of information and just living with a single team about those services, that's a, that's a huge risk as well. Like if I'm developing, you know, our payment microservice, for example, and, you know, we leave, how does the rest of the organization know what the domain boundary was for the service? You know, what, what do we work on? What does the design spec look like? Where does that stuff live outside of just the brains of the people on that team? And so there, I think there's a lot of factors when it comes to making sure that knowledge is, is disseminated across the organization. And that's really one of the things that we're trying to solve as well. Okay, we are going to take a short break after a nice introduction of Cortex. Please stay tuned for more to come. Ganesh, let's say we have a company that just smashed its monolith application into granular pieces of microservices. It's phase one, and we have about 10 services using an event-driven architecture. How do we keep it loosely coupled and finely grained with Cortex? That's a great question. I think it, it comes down to a couple of different pieces. I think if it becomes hard to continue creating those microservices and maintaining those domain boundaries, eventually you're going to start having developers just adding more and more functionality to those 10 services you just pulled out because it's extremely difficult to maintain those boundaries and spin up new services. So in a very tactical sense, we recommend building templates and boilerplate that developers can use to quickly spin up new projects. And that makes it easy for, for folks to spin up new services that follow your standards. And the reason that's so important is, you know, let's say I'm, I'm adding some new functionality. 
you want to make it as easy as possible to maintain those boundaries and you know add that in the correct microservice as opposed to just tacking it on to one of the existing services that you've now pulled out and making those just secondary monoliths. So I think step one is making sure that you have the infrastructure and tooling in place to keep it that way. Uh, step two, I think, is understanding where those boundaries live, making sure that information is documented, making sure that you know the scope of the services live somewhere. So what does a service do? You know, what are the APIs it exposes? What are the contracts that it has? Make sure that information is documented somewhere, either through a design spec or even like a, a wiki or a catalog of the services that you've built. You know, the API documentation should be super clear. Um, if I'm consuming these services, if I, you know, if it's consuming certain events, uh, if it's producing events, what kind of events is it producing? You know, what where does, does the, the line start and end for that particular microservice? And so those are things that Cortex can really help with around you know, scaffolding and boilerplate management, but also being able to track what those services are, what they do, what their responsibilities are, and then, you know, making sure that there's accountable owners. And then, you know, there's there's a piece that I think, you know, we will likely touch on in, in just a little bit, which is like the governance aspect as well around, you know, making sure that whatever quality standards you have for those services are maintained not just now, but in the future. So when you think about following the standards and making sure that, you know, these services are, they're dockerized, they have a small footprint, they, you know, have your CI CD, all the kind of stuff that you want to make sure your microservice architecture does, that can just be a static checklist that you go through once and say like, hey, you know, this service that we have, it's, you know, it's connected to Kafka, it's producing it's these events, uh, you know, it's, it's on CI CD and like, that's it, we're never going to come back to that service again. It needs to be an ongoing validation process. You know, when you come back, a month later and say like, hey, that service that we pulled out when we smashed the monolith, is it still following those practices? Is it still nicely grained? Is it still following those data models? Because things change, you know, a month is a long time in a, in a fast moving microservices environment. So you want to make sure you have a culture and a system for continuous audits of those services that you've pulled out. Wow. Okay. That's powerful. How does the entire team stay informed? As in business and IT managers, scrum masters, product owners, and business analysts. Yeah, that that's a, a really interesting question. I think it's something that we realized after we started building Cortex is that every every one of these personas almost has their own use case and like their own their their own roles are affected by the move to microservices. So when I think about uh, you know a product owner, a product owner really cares about from at a product level, like is my service are, are these set of services that make up a particular product. Are they reliable? Are they following our standards? You know, that's that's super important to them. Or even if they have questions around like, you know, who, hey, which, uh, who should I reach out to if I have questions about how our login flow works or how our payment system works? You know, that's not something. Now with the microservice architecture, A, you got to figure out, okay, which microservice does payments and then, you know, who owns that service? So product owners need to be able to look up that information really easily. And that's something that Cortex does is like it allows you to, to define what those services are, what their responsibilities are, and then who owns them, really reducing that cycle of like, you know, pinging somebody on Slack and they, you know, they mess, they share it to somebody else and they forward it to somebody else. And eventually the product owner figures out who, who owns a certain thing two days later. That's something that Cortex can really solve for you. But you take the other side of things where you have like IT managers who are trying to understand, you know, what, what is the surface area of our architecture? You know, what tools are we using? What are the integrations? You know, have we adopted some of the new platforms that we're trying to pull in, especially when it comes to, you know, you know, a lot of the scope today around security and vulnerability scanning and things like that. All those metrics can flow into Cortex and be part of like a holistic service health score. So, you know, an IT person or a security person or DevOps person can come in and quickly see, 
like here's what the services are, here's where they're deployed, here's the latest information about their vulnerabilities and you know how they're integrated with all of our tools. Um, and then Scrum Masters, again, it's like a lot of what they do is trying to help these folks say like, you know, let's, let's take a, like a very concrete example. We had the Log4j vulnerability that happened recently and, you know, every service owner had to go in and make sure that their services were updated to the latest version of Log4j so that their services weren't exposed. And sometimes that responsibility falls on the Scrum Master to say like, okay, how many services are outstanding? Which ones do we need to update? What is the current status? We want to communicate the status to leadership. And so they're spending time in Jira and creating spreadsheets and all that stuff. And Cortex can completely automate that process for you by pulling that data into Cortex and giving you reports and saying like, here are the services that are still not compliant. Here's what we need to do. Automatically notify the people that need to be making those changes. And so, you know, there's a little bit of everything for, for every, every persona because, you know, microservices are just so all encompassing and the surface area is so large that, you know, a, a tool in this microservice space really has to solve problems for all the different personas there. That makes perfect sense. Okay. Last but not least, how about the developers? Absolutely. I mean, that's near and dear to my heart as a, as a developer. And that's kind of where Cortex started is my personal pain points as a software developer, you know, moving to microservices, I ran into so many issues and that's, that's really where we started building the product. And so I, I'll walk you through the kind of the products and the journey of a developer using Cortex and, and kind of re- in relation to my own personal journey as a developer. You know, as you start building microservices, I think one of the things that happens, you know, like I mentioned, is it becomes very hard to understand, you know, what the services are, what they do, who owns them, especially when you're building services, you know, or operating them, like where's the run books? Who's on call for this service right now? You know, if something happens, how do I how do I restart the service? Where's the dashboards? There's just so much involved in operating a service that it's impossible to keep track of. And for me personally, I had a like a bookmarks folder on my browser just trying to track all this information in, in a single place. And then, you know, as as other teams started adopting microservices, how do you make sure that they're not duplicating the work that's already been done and rebuilding the same thing? Because the number of companies we see who have like five different uh, HTML to PDF snapshotting microservices that do the exact same thing is, is too much to count. And so, you know, as a developer, being able to get that information at your fingertips is extremely important, especially when there's an incident. And so that's what the Cortex service catalog does. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a service catalog. You know, it gives you information about all your services and what they do and all this like metadata about them. And so, for example, if there's an incident, something's on fire, something's going down, you don't have to waste time scrambling to like look this up at Confluence. You go to Cortex, you find the service, your run books are right there, your on-call is right there, and you can you can resolve that incident in just a few minutes as opposed to a back and forth on Slack for an hour until you finally figure that out. So that's kind of step one where we really started with Cortex. You know, and then step two as a developer is like, you know, how do I actually create services? How do I, you know, I don't want to go and copy paste a bunch of code from five different repos and, you know, test, you know, spend a whole week making sure all the plumbing's there and the CI CD pipelines are working. You know, as an organization, that stuff should be templated away and, you know, it should be very easy to generate that boilerplate. And so that's where we built our scaffolder feature, which essentially lets organizations define these custom templates that they can define and say, you know, it comes with all of your your batteries included, all the boilerplate right there. So as a developer, I go in, I click a couple buttons and Cortex will actually create a Git repo for me, push the boilerplate and the plumbing code. It'll add it to the catalog. So I'm never losing track of these projects. And so it just really manages that entire cycle end to end. And then finally, as a developer, I think one of the things that I used to have to do a lot is go through these, these manual processes 
like whether it's a security audit where you know a security team comes and asks you 20 questions about your services and you're you're filling out these spreadsheets for all the microservices you own or tracking migrations from one platform to another and you know people are bugging me about you know updating some other spreadsheets some other tools about that that kind of stuff is automated automated away from me and so our scorecards product lets organizations define their their standards and their best practices in you know an automated like codified way and so as a service developer, what that means for me is I can see, is my service compliant, you know, in a, in a way that I don't have to go and add any manual information. If it's not compliant, Cortex tells me like, hey, here are the three things that are missing, you know, go and go and fix these things. And it'll tell me exactly how to fix them. And so it makes it very easy for me as a developer to A, know what our standards are, you know, because service quality is important and developers do care about it. It's just very hard sometimes to understand, you know, what those, those standards are. So it makes it easy for me to know what they are. And it makes me easy. It makes it easy for me to actually go and make those changes because I know what's missing. And so as a developer, it just makes my life so much easier through that automation and visibility. Okay, nice. Everyone wins here. Let's take another break and we'll be back with Ganesh to talk about governance of microservices using Cortex. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that, that kind of stuff is our bread and butter at Cortex. So yeah, super excited to share more about that. Ganesh, I am very curious. How will you or how are you approaching the need for governance with Cortex? I think governance is such a critical part of you know successful microservice architecture, and I think it's top of mind for every engineering team out there. I think there there's a couple of things that have been tried in the past that I don't think you know were were very successful, um, and, and I think one of the very common examples of this is like uh, CI/CD gates. And what I mean by that is you know instead of trying to drive and report on compliance at a high level. I think people try to say, you know, we're going to prevent you from doing things if you don't meet meet the standards that we're defining. So if you don't get to 90% code coverage or, you know, you're, you have some vulnerabilities or something like that, you can't even deploy, you can't merge your code, and those gates would be enforced at your CI CD level. And I think that had a couple of unintended consequences, the most important of, of which being, you know, I think developers started getting very frustrated. It wasn't really it wasn't really giving them an idea of like whether or not they're doing the right things. It was more of a like, hey, you better listen to us or else type of a situation. And it just drastically reduced velocity. So I think now when it comes to governance, you know, people are really thinking more about, hey, what are the things that as an organization we care about? How do we track those things that we care about? And then how do we go and fix the issues that we have? So it's much more of a method, like there's a lot more methodology behind that and it's a much more rigorous approach to it. So I think step one is understanding what is important to your organization. And so governance can cover a lot of different things. You know, uh, operations like monitoring, observability, reliability. You know, there's governance around that. You know, like SLOs and SLAs and SLIs and things like that are pretty classical examples of governance in some sense. Like, are you conforming to our standards? Uh, so that's that's one example. Another kind of governance is around security. You know, are you meeting our risk standards? Do you have vulnerabilities? Are you following the best practices there? Um, and then finally, you have like development best practices. And this one is a little more a, a little more hand wavy because every organization cares about this differently. But you know, in terms of governance, it's like, are you using our golden path platforms? Are you have you migrated to the latest and greatest thing that we're trying to push? Are you using CI/CD, automated unit tests, all these kind of things that are important to govern as part of a microservice architecture? And so what Cortex says is, you know, 
before they would try to automate this at CI. And then there was the pendulum swing to the complete opposite direction where it was like an asynchronous manual process where each, like the reliability team and the security team maintained their own spreadsheets and they had reporting. And I think we're trying to swing it back to the middle and say, hey, like there needs to be a middle ground where your organization can define these standards and this governance and developers are able to consume that and take actionable steps based on the information there. And so what Cortex does is it gives... It, it gives all the personas a way to define those standards that they want to govern and say, like, here is what we expect. And it'll spit out a score for each service. It says, like, hey, this is at 90% on our security governance. It's, it is at 75% on development standards. And as a developer, it tells me, like, hey, three of your services are not meeting those standards. Let's go in and dig into what's going on. For managers, it tells them, hey, this particular team is maybe struggling on security. You know, what is there something there? Like, do they not have the time to do that? And at a leadership level, it lets them track, like, hey, are we making progress on the governance that we want? And so it's more of like an active, ongoing system of saying, what do we want? Are we doing those things? Are we moving in the right direction? Where are we today? I think that's the kind of governance that the world is moving towards. It's more of a more of an understanding, a deep understanding of how things are and where we can take them, as opposed to trying to like, you know, beat people with a stick and make them do the things that you want them to do. Uh, so that's kind of how we think about governance. Ah, uh, okay. I like the fact that Cortex works between continuous integration as we know it and a more mid-level way of looking at governance from the business domain's perspective. How does Cortex and its products and tools support XP programming or a more transparent and open style of programming? Yeah, I think... I think, you know, like that openness goes back to where we're talking about with ego. It's, you know, it's like a high trust environment. And that's kind of how you give developers autonomy. You know, if developers have autonomy, then you have to trust them. And, the, and an, an element to that is accountability as well. As a developer, if I'm given that autonomy, I need to be accountable for the decisions I'm making and, you know, the quality of the software that I'm building. It's, it's definitely a two-way street. And I think that's, that is the right trade-off. Um, and so with that, I think, you know, going back to the governance concept, it's no longer about, you know, saying like, hey, you can't do X, Y, and Z. It's giving developers a knowledge saying like, hey, this particular service that you're building is maybe behind the curve on our best practices. And as a developer, I, A, that's visible to everyone. There's full transparency in terms of, you know, which services are doing well, which services are behind. And it gives me the accountability to say like, as a service owner, I'm going to take the initiative to go in and fix those things and, you know, bring those services up to par. And so I think it's that two-way street of like, hey, we're going to let you move with the velocity that you need to move, but we're going to tell you what's wrong. And, you know, we're going to be transparent about it. And as a developer, I have the accountability to go and fix that. And, you know, the, a, a, the, one of the reasons we we have like gamification of this stuff in, in Cortex is for, for similar reasons. It's like, how do you incentivize people to care? And, it's been awesome to see at the organizations that we work with, in many cases, they they define these scorecards for like security or production readiness or whatever. And they don't even tell developers like, hey, you have to get to X percent. Developers see that and they're, they're like, oh, my, my service is at 50%. Like why, what's going on? And they go in and they just fix things themselves like without anyone telling them. And I think because it's, it's because developers care. And, you know, part of that is like that accountability that and the accountability and the ownership and the autonomy that developers have with some of these more modern programming techniques. And we're seeing that play out in real time as developers go in and fix things without people telling them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we think about you know governance and how that f- comes in with some of the more modern techniques. 
Ah, oh, that makes perfect sense. So much food for thought here, I'm sure, for our listeners. Well, Ganesh, we've covered some great concepts that are critical to good microservices. We thank you so much, and we wish Cortex the best of luck. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was, it was wonderful being on here. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and got value from it. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And if you're feeling generous, head over to Apple and leave us a rating and review. We would greatly appreciate that. Stay tuned for more episodes to come. Until then, have a good day.